It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, all, this is Ben and Jason from the future. We're here to tell you about our exciting new venture with Patreon. Yeah, for as little as a dollar a month, you can help support the podcast. You know, we produce... 8.67 8.67 of these episodes every month, and we'd appreciate your help. Yeah, a lot of work goes into these episodes, and we do a lot of research and uh, post-production and everything like that, and it, it's nice to know you appreciate us. So on our survey, you said we'd support, support you on Patreon. Well, those of you who live in the future said that, and uh, we said, okay, well, here's a Patreon. Yeah. So uh, go over to the link in the show notes, and you'll get hooked right up. Hey everybody, this is Ben, and I'm just checking in before the episode begins to let you know that today's episode is basically all about Alexander Hamilton. You might notice a few times where we mention a musical named Hamilton, and it is a musical that's currently on Broadway, written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, and it's uh, really good. And Jason and I have been listening to it for quite a while, and been taking some inspiration from it, and it's really cool to hear some of the things that we've talked about over the, the last year just kind of be put in the musical form and something that's not really been done before in, in this way, at least. So anyway, we're really happy to talk about it. And we also recommend a few things in the episode. One of them is Alexander Hamilton by Ron Chernow. It's a biography of Alexander Hamilton. So if you want to help out Ben and Jason and you want to get the audiobook, you can get a free audiobook if you have never signed up for Audible before, just by going to electioncollege.com audible. And you can sign up and look for Alexander Hamilton or you can also check out the print version. We have a link to that in the show notes. Or if you want to check out the musical and anything about it, I promise you'll be obsessed. You can check out the soundtrack. We've got a link to that in the show notes, as well as a book written by Lin-Manuel Miranda, the author of the musical. So without further ado, here you go. Here's the episode. Election College, episode 90. We've been calling him the Wizard of Oz, but he's really Alexander Hamilton. Let's throw a political party. Face it, the political scene sucks, but did it always? It's time for election college, and class is in session. Now, your hosts, Jason Goff and Ben Smith. So, Ben... We've been calling him the Wizard of Oz, and it's been a while since we've talked about him. Kind of miss talking about Alex. But it turns out that you and I this week have been chatting back and forth, and I have this whole new appreciation for him, his family, even Aaron Burr, dare I say. I have a whole new appreciation for Alexander Hamilton's story because of the musical. I have not seen the musical, and I know a lot of our listeners have. They've been tweeting to us and saying, you need to talk about this. You need to go see the play. I've just listened to the music, and oh my goodness, 
it is life changing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you uh, you renewed my interest this week. I've been um, it's probably it was probably a few weeks at least since the last time I had listened or watched any videos or anything. And I also have not seen the musical, but I got into it and then kind of forgot about it. And then this week also have been very into it. So we know that the musical, even though it is incredibly accurate, uh, is not 100 percent accurate. So we're going to try and stick to the actually accurate stuff um, as much as we can here in the short amount of time we'll have. But yeah, we're going to talk about Alexander Hamilton. And then uh, Thursday, we're going to talk about Aaron Burr, which uh, it kills us to say, but we have to, they go hand in hand, I think. Yeah. And I promise you that we will try to give the good and the bad. And there's a million things that we haven't done, but just you wait. So right. those of you who have heard the music or seen the musical, you will know exactly what I'm talking about. It's uh, it's free to stream if you want to do that, anybody. Um, I'm pretty sure I'm going to order the vinyl uh, of the musical, but that's nothing to do. Well, it's actually everything to do with this episode, but anyway. And we'll get to it why he's so important as it pertains yeah. to U.S. election history. So... Let's dive in. Alexander Hamilton, he was born on January the 11th, 1755, and he was born out of wedlock. Yeah, like Jason said, he was born out of wedlock, and he was born down in the British West Indies. And at the time, his mother was having a pretty hard time. She was a shop owner, and times were tough. There were lots of sickness going around. Uh, his dad ran off. Uh, left mom with he and his brother, and things got a little bit interesting in the Caribbean. Yeah, so his mother moved with Alex uh, to St. Croix, uh, which was also down yonder. And St. Croix at the time, which is in the Virgin Islands, was ruled by Denmark. So when I say 1755, it could have been 1757, but we're not totally sure. And actually, most historians say 1757. Yeah, there's some question on whether or not he was wrong on his forms, whether the forms were filled out incorrectly, whether he lied so that he appeared to be either younger or older. Uh, we're not really sure, but you know, sometime in that span, Alexander Hamilton was born. So after uh, a while, Hamilton's mother actually got a fever and died. Hamilton was also sick, but uh, he did survive and uh, was actually adopted by a cousin. So after his mother passes away, he becomes a clerk at a local import-export firm, uh, which was called Beekman and Kruger. And they traded with New England, and he was left in charge of the firm for five months in 1771, while the owner was at sea. Now, he and his brother, his older brother, James Jr., were adopted briefly by a cousin uh, named Peter Lytton, but Lytton committed suicide and the brothers were separated. Yeah, so James went on to be a carpenter and Alexander was actually adopted by a merchant. And there's some evidence to say that the guy who adopted them might have actually been Hamilton's biological father. No firm evidence of that, but it is pretty commonly acknowledged that it was a good possibility. Uh, Hamilton did continue to be a clerk in the store, and he became really an avid reader, 
little while later, there's a hurricane that kind of came and destroyed the place where he lived. And Hamilton wrote a letter, um, a poem of sorts, and it was actually published. They're like, this is a pretty good poem or writing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we should probably send him away to school because he's not getting the justice he deserves here uh, and not being able to live up to his full potential. Yeah. So shortly after the hurricane in the autumn of 1772, Hamilton arrives at Elizabethtown Academy, which was a grammar school in Elizabethtown, New Jersey. And so in 1773, he studied with Francis Barber over there at Elizabethtown and he prepared for college. And so Hamilton entered King's College in New York, uh, which is now called Columbia University, in the fall of 1773. And there he goes. He's studying and he's got brains. Yeah. And a lot of brains. Uh, it's, you know, he was widely known to be really intelligent, to write a lot of different stuff. He would get in arguments with classmates because he was correct and they were incorrect. And that was the way it was going to be. <laughs> uh, so Hamilton, during his time in school and, and in college, university, he, he was a bit of a hothead. He was a bit of a know-it-all. And uh, if you read his biography, which if you have time, you should. It talks a lot about how he had to learn over the years. And it many times brings up how he just kind of needed to shut his mouth every now and then. And he wasn't <laughs> great at it. So, and this started apparently from a pretty young age. Hey, Ben, have you ever been on one side of the issue and there are people who are on that same side of the issue as you, but they're a bunch of jerks? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and you're like... <laughs> Uh, sometimes you got to defend people who are on the other side because, well, I'll leave strong words aside, but Hamilton found himself in that situation because he was a supporter of the revolutionary cause um, back before the Revolutionary War started, but he did not approve of some of the mobs that would come against loyalists. And a good example of this was in May of 1775, Hamilton uh, won credit for saving his college president, who was named Miles Cooper. He was a loyalist, Cooper was, and Hamilton saved him from an angry mob by speaking to the crowd long enough for Cooper to escape. <laughs> for those of you who are not sure what a loyalist is, uh, a loyalist would be someone who was still thinking that the, the colony should stay under British rule. And uh, as you know, many people were not, especially Alexander Hamilton. Uh, so during the Revolutionary War, uh, Alexander Hamilton actually started out um, in the military. He was in the artillery to begin with. He was in the artillery to begin with, and he actually got quite well recognized. He was quite the leader, quite the visionary, and a lot of people tried to get him to work for him. Yeah, and so he was recommended for promotion so he does some really cool things. He's under fire at one point from the HMS Asia, which that is a British ship. <laughs> uh, he led a successful raid uh, from British cannons and his company became an artillery company after that. And he got connected with influential New York patriots like Alexander McDougall and John Jay I remember at one point, Jason, uh, hearing about the fact that he went and stole a bunch of cannons from the Brits uh, when I was in high school. And like, I don't know, that's pretty gutsy to just be like, hey, we're going to take these. Thanks. 
Yeah, man, have you ever seen how heavy those things are? Yeah, I'm sure they didn't pick them up. Uh, well, how would they do? Get their Hummers out? <laughs> I don't know. They probably brought in an airlift or something, I'd imagine. Ah, so, <laughs> so Hamilton really moves through the ranks. And by the time the Revolutionary War is really kicking it up in 1776, he is a captain and he is really leading the charge in New York. Yeah, so a few people try to get him to come on board with him. They basically want him to uh, be an aide, which essentially could mean you know running errands, running letters back and forth, writing for them. And he's like, uh, no, I, I don't really want to do that. I want to continue to fight until George Washington asks him if he can serve alongside with him. And he asks him to be his lieutenant colonel. And, of course, Washington, being the leader of the army overall, Hamilton's like, okay, yeah, I guess I could probably do that. And so he actually serves as his right-hand man for about four years. He does a lot of important stuff, gets letters back and forth to Congress, begs them for money, um, tells the the whole army, hey, uh, this is what Washington's saying you got to do, so do it. Yeah, so you get a letter from Washington, but actually you really want a letter from Hamilton because Hamilton is doing all of these high-level things. I mean, he's doing intelligence, he's doing diplomacy, he's negotiating with senior army officers. He's really Washington's emissary. So back in the day, if you were not in the military, at least by most of the higher-ranking members of society's point of view— you weren't much of anything. So if you hadn't had some kind of significant military service, you hadn't quite done your part. So Hamilton knows this, and he knows even more so that, you know, yeah, it's great to write letters for the commander of the whole army, but I'd really like to get some more on-the-field kind of action, and he really wants to get more of a field command position. And Hamilton's like, hey, Washington, uh, I'm going to completely resign if you don't let me command my own troops. <laughs> so what's it going to be? Yeah. And so Hamilton submits a letter to Washington. He's like, I'm going to step down. And Washington's like, okay, you're pretty valuable. <laughs> Hamilton, you are the commander of a New York light infantry battalion. And you are going to really help lead the charge in conjunction with the French. And we're going to do our thing and we're going to win the battle of Yorktown and we're going to see the British surrender and the British will acknowledge that they lost. And like, it works. Uh, the battle of <laughs> battle of Yorktown, like pretty much the entire British army has to surrender after the, after the battle at Yorktown and uh, Hamilton had a direct hand in that. And so then we start getting into the really interesting stuff, at least what I think is really interesting stuff, which is the politics of everything. Right. Uh, Hamilton basically says, all right, I'm done with the army uh, after that. And in 1782, he gets appointed to the Congress of the Confederation, which we talked about that kind of stuff a long, long time ago. And it's kind of interesting because Hamilton is really critical of Congress. And at the same time, he's on, he's in the Congress. Yeah. He becomes really frustrated with the decentralized nature of the wartime Continental Congress. And he's like, you're depending upon the states for financial support. And under the Articles of Confederation, Congress has no power to collect taxes or demand any money from the states. And Hamilton really saw this as a lack 
of stability. Their federal government, which they weren't really calling the federal government at this point, had no stable source of funding. So how are you going to fund the Continental Army? And Congress at the time was like, um, well, the King of France, he's going to subsidize us, right? <laughs> and uh, we're going to get some loans from Europe, right? And that's just going to continue forever, right? Yeah, of course. Everybody knows that our relationship with with France and England and everything never deteriorates or has any ripples in it at all. But needless to say, there's a lot of discontented soldiers. And it's kind of interesting because the, they're they're like, hey, Congress, we're going to come after you. And then they do. Like all these disgruntled soldiers start a petition demanding all their back pay. They didn't get paid for, I don't know, a long time, close to a year. And Congress actually is in Philadelphia and the soldiers are marching towards Philadelphia and Hamilton's like, Hey guys, we need a militia. Can we get that? And they're like, no. So the, the mob gets to Philadelphia and basically Congress has to escape and get out, get out of here um, pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah. So just to sum that up a little bit, the officers are like, okay, we've got three demands. We want our paychecks. We want our pensions and we want those pensions paid in a lump sum. So there was some high dollar deal in here that yeah. the army was like, do it. And Congress is like, no, flee. <laughs> <laughs> so there's actually a, a call from Hamilton to revise the Articles of Confederation. And he really starts advocating for a really strong federal government. He wants the government to be able to raise up an army. He thinks that the government should have the ability to collect taxes and not just by the states volunteering them. And he also comes up with the ideas or at least puts into writing the ideas for the executive, legislative and judicial branches. And we're going to see all these things turn into the Constitution pretty quickly here. I mean, that's a little bit of a spoiler for you in case you weren't aware, but uh, Hamilton kind of comes up with some of the initial big ideas that, that happened to be in the Constitution. Yeah, you can imagine what that would have been like, because basically, here you are, you're Alexander Hamilton. You're pretty young. Uh, you're from the West Indies. So you're a foreigner. You've come in, you've cleaned house, being in the army and all, defeating the British. And then you say, guess what? The way this government laid out sucks. <laughs> I'm going to redo everything. And uh, there's a million things that he hadn't done, but just you wait. So <laughs> Hamilton is like, okay, we don't have a strong central government. That's horrible. He calls to revise the Articles of Confederation. And like Ben said, it contains many features, his ideas of the future U.S. Constitution. And he says, hey, Congress, I quit. And in 1783... <laughs> <laughs> he goes back to New York and gets smart on his own. He educates himself and he practices law in New York and he's defending Tories and British subjects and he's kicking all kinds of butt in the legal system and he pleads for the mayor's court to interpret state law consent with the 1783 Treaty of Paris, which had ended the Revolutionary War. So he's doing some big, bad legal stuff. And in 1784, he founds the Bank of New York, which is still going on to this day. Okay. So 
we're going to jump ahead a few years here. Hamilton is back serving in the New York legislature, and they're like, hey, son-in-law, his father-in-law is Philip Schuyler, uh, who is a congressman, says, hey, uh, you're going to be a delegate to the Constitutional Convention. And Hamilton's like, I was actually kind of against the Constitutional Convention, but, but now I'm I'm all right. That's fine. Like, I'll go and, and say a bunch of stuff. And so we've kind of talked a little bit, alluded to it, but in case you didn't know, Hamilton is like Mr. Strong National Government, Mr. Centralized Power, Mr. Probably Anti-States Rights, you could say, to a large extent. A lot of people don't like this, especially people from the South. Yeah. And keep in mind, so we've talked a little bit about, well, we've talked a lot about it, about the, the strong central government versus more of the state's rights. And then you also have the whole, oh, you sound more like a French person and, oh, you sound more like a British person. Hamilton is all about the British way of thinking at this point. He's saying in his speeches, we need the president to be president for life. Senators, they need to serve for life uh, just as long as they behave, right? And James Madison is sitting over there and he's like, you monarchist sympathizer, I'm hostile towards you. Boo, Hamilton. I don't want to get too uh, current day political here. Can you imagine if senators today had to be well behaved in order to keep their seats? I think we would probably see a little bit of turnover. I know, for sure. <laughs> okay, well, back where, to the Where past do you again. draw the line on that, too? Because, yeah. I mean, let's face it, some of these guys were not the most upright of moral character. Right. And we'll get into Just that saying. a little bit, even with Hamilton here a little bit. No. I know. It's sad. Hamilton is pretty much by the end of the convention, he gets he gets stalled out on a lot of stuff and a lot of stuff he wants and kind of nobody else wants doesn't come to happen. Like nobody's going to vote for it except for him. So at the end of the, of the constitutional convention, here's the constitution and Hamilton's like, well, OK, so I don't like it, but I'm going to sign it because it's way better than the Articles of Confederation and all my buddies, you should do it as well. Yeah, so it's one of those things where everybody lost something, but altogether we at least won a constitution, right? And in 1788, you got the last session of the Continental Congress under the Articles of Confederation. So you got the Continental Congress basically completing its job. And the Articles of Confederation pretty much ending its importance in lieu of the U.S. Constitution, which was in 1787. So you got this whole other dynamic going on. You got the French people, or should I say, the people who look like French people. You got the people who look, look, you get the people who look like British people. You got the people who are for a strong central government. You got the people who are all about states' rights. And you have disagreements on people who perhaps should agree. Enter Aaron Burr. So in 1791, Philip Schuyler, who was Hamilton's father-in-law, loses his congressional seat to Aaron Burr. Yeah. And so Burr and Hamilton, and you know, we're, we're going to talk about Burr entirely in the next episode, but just because it's important now, 
obviously you'll find out why not why it is burr and hamilton at this point start to not get along so well they had been at least acquainted if not friendly with each other up to this point and burr gets hamilton's father-in-law's seat from this point on in all of hamilton's correspondence and his letters and everything he talks bad about him and at least doesn't think highly of him and it's fairly obvious you know how sometimes when you're like you say something about someone it's not really negative but it's certainly not positive that's kind of how his letters were and that's how every good gentleman acted in 1791 Uh, so they i mean they still had to work together on certain things because they were influential members of society and they were both attorneys but they weren't best buddies at this point and this kind of starts a downward spiral spiral between the two of them yeah so Ben, are you ready to talk about Hamilton being the whole secretary of the treasury and all that? I am, but real quick, I want to mention that even though Hamilton, uh, and we can all learn something from this, even though Hamilton was not like the biggest proponent of the Constitution, you know, there were a lot of things he didn't like. He started a little project known as the Federalist Papers, which are still huge. The Federalist Papers basically were written anonymously by uh, John Jay and James Madison and Alexander Hamilton to defend the Constitution and to like, you know, explain why they did certain things. And even in like court cases today, people will still refer to the Federalist Papers to, to interpret the Constitution. And if you want to be a Supreme Court justice, you better know what the Federalist Papers had to say about parts of the Constitution. So those are like huge and still in our everyday lives, whether we realize it or not. And uh, even even though Hamilton was not gung-ho about the Constitution and everything it said, he was definitely all about defending it and making sure that it was put into place correctly. Yeah, you got to have some sort of baseline, right? That's right. So in 1789, George Washington wins the election. We talk about that in one of our early episodes. He wins uncontested, and everybody loves George Washington. And President Washington appoints Alexander Hamilton as the first United States Secretary of the Treasury. Yeah, and it's kind of assumed or known, I guess you could say, that Hamilton saw his position as like second in command, essentially, or the you know like what the prime minister would be in England. It's not quite like that. It's never really set up quite like that. But Hamilton still treats it like that to some extent. Needless to say, he was looked at very highly. Uh, with by many people, Washington saw him very highly. Basically, everything we know about our modern banking and finance system, Hamilton kind of put all those things and systems and everything into place. It had some help, of course, but the reason Hamilton is on money and probably should stay on money, we talked about this a little bit a few episodes ago, is because like he helped invent it essentially. <laughs> right. <laughs> Yeah, and that whole deal with Hamilton feeling as though he were the second-in-command, effectively, he was in that there was nobody who was going to really pour into the issues of government like Hamilton, much to the dismay of his own family. But you had all kinds of issues coming up during his tenure in the Washington administration where you would see disagreements between he and Thomas Jefferson. And anybody who disagreed with Hamilton was going to not 
be in good favor of Washington. So by the time Washington's term ends, you do have two political parties. Yeah. Hey, remember that uh, that Whiskey Rebellion we talked about, Jason, a long time ago? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Hamilton kind of came up with the whole idea for the tax on the whiskey that caused the Whiskey Rebellion and then forced Washington to have to kind of take the military against the folks, the fine folks up in Pennsylvania. Uh, so if you have a problem with the whiskey tax, you have a problem with Hamilton. And in turn, you have a problem with Washington. That's right. The political factions are really emerging while Hamilton is the Treasury Secretary. Uh, you've got Madison, James Madison, and William Branch uh, Giles. Uh, they begin an opposition group to Hamilton's financial uh, programs. And Thomas Jefferson, who, if you've listened to our earlier episodes, we call him TJ. He joins that group when he gets back from France and Hamilton and his allies begin to call themselves Federalists. And Jefferson and Madison and all their friends are called the Democratic Republicans. Yeah, and it's kind of funny because it's like, all right, so uh, we left the old place. We're here in the new place. We just got our independence. We're all united. Now let's do some stuff. Oh, whoops, we split up in the factions already and we're at each other's throats. Yeah. Oops, I guess I guess it's going to have to be like this forever now, right? That's apparently the logic that's gone on in our country. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, it is interesting because a lot of times, and I know before we started uh, doing this podcast, Ben, I always thought, hey, these guys must have gotten along. Everybody loves George Washington, right? But the friction between Hamilton and Jefferson really is indicative of, or at least it shows, the disagreement that happened between Washington and Jefferson, so much so that Jefferson bolts out of the Washington administration. The two never talk to each other again. And you probably have Alexander, the Wizard of Oz, Hamilton, having a large role in this. Yeah. And so that's like, there are some other parts, but that's like one of the biggest, most noticeable parts of how Alexander Hamilton influenced elections. He kind of is responsible, at least at least half responsible, for the very fact that there are multiple different parties. Just, I mean, obviously you have to have more than one person to tango, but he certainly was considered the leader of one party that other people didn't like, so therefore they created another party. You'll continue to see lots of impact he had on, on elections as well. You know, what's kind of funny about all of this is, so you got the Secretary of the Treasury, and for many of us, you know, who is the Secretary of Treasury, right? It doesn't seem to be as big of a deal as it was back then. But what about the Vice President? I mean, his rotundity. What in the world was he doing? Was he just sitting <laughs> off in the corner going, oh man, this Vice President job, <laughs> there's really nothing to it. It's worthless. I'm just wasting my time. Washington, please step down. I'm not going to say that out loud, but I want to be president now. But yeah, John Adams, I mean, where is he in all of this? He's relatively silent. Yeah, good for him or maybe bad for, I don't know. One way or another, <laughs> he didn't say much. <laughs> hey, hey, Jason, do you want to talk about uh, a little bit of a stain? And by a little bit, I mean a big stain on Hamilton's legacy. Yeah, this is heartbreaking. So in 1791, Hamilton becomes involved in an affair. Yeah, Maria Reynolds, 
she basically comes up to Hamilton and says, hey, my husband left me, but I don't have any money. And Hamilton's like, well, I don't have any money on me either, but I'll be happy to bring you some cash. And he goes over to take her some cash. And one thing leads to another. And they're seeing each other pretty frequently. And it's not always just to exchange money. Sooner than later, Hamilton starts getting letters one from Maria Reynolds and one from her husband. And the first letter is like, hey, my husband knows about it, and I'm pretty sure that he's going to try and blackmail you. And the second one is like, uh, hey, I'm blackmailing you. Give me money. Right. Yeah. So it turns out that Hamilton is sending money over to Mr. Reynolds just to keep him silent. Right. So he gets, you know, when you're the secretary of the treasury and you're, you know, missing money from places and people start looking at you weird, like, hey, where's this money going? Hey, are you playing with the nation's money? And Hamilton says, no, I'm not. I promise. And they're like, are you sure? And he's like, yeah, here, it was an affair. And I got, I got blackmailed. And uh, he pretty much says, hey, guys, could you not say anything about any of this? And they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's fine, except for James Monroe. And Monroe's like, mm, we, we might need to say something about this. And people start publishing accusations, and the word starts getting out. And other people are uncovering this evidence that maybe there was some money exchanging hands between people that doesn't seem to have needed to change hands. And Hamilton just cannot stand the idea that his country is tarnished by his, his – uh, lack of integrity here and his country. He doesn't want anybody to think ill of the system that he has helped uh, to build and worked so hard to build. So he actually publishes a pamphlet of sorts and details everything out explicitly that, yes, I had an affair and no, I did not abuse the nation's money. And this kind of like really hurts public perception as it maybe should have of Hamilton. Yeah, it's kind of interesting through this, his wife, Hamilton's wife, forgives him. James Monroe does not. Hamilton says, hey, listen, I am a servant. I am going to serve in whatever way I can. But if this has tarnished my whole image, if it's tarnished the way um, public figures are going to be perceived and my role of government, my role in government um, should become a thing of my past, then so be it. So in 1795, Hamilton resigns as secretary of the treasury and he goes back, practices law and continues to advise Washington because I mean, they're friends and, um, Hamilton actually influences Washington in the writing of his farewell address that many of us have heard and gain inspiration from. He writes drafts for Washington. When Washington contemplates retirement in 1792, he consults with James Madison for a draft that was used in a similar manner to Hamilton's. Yeah. So over the years, Hamilton actually goes back into the army and he does a few things there and yeah, we'll kind of breeze over that part of his life for a little bit until you get to 1800. And in 1800, there's an election and we've got all sorts of people running for different offices and things are kind of getting a little bit messy. Yeah. So Hamilton is working in 1800 to defeat not only the rival party being the Democratic Republicans, 
but also his party's own nominee, John Adams. So John Adams is running against Thomas Jefferson, and Adams is running with Pinckney, and Jefferson is running with Aaron Burr. And it's pretty well known, and we talk about this pretty in depth way back in earlier parts of the podcast of the of the series. It's pretty well known that if Jefferson wins, he's going to be the president, and Aaron Burr is going to be the vice president. And usually, if you know, it's kind of assumed if we tie, that's the way it'll be, since that's the way we kind of everybody knows things are going. But that's not official because, again, remember, whoever gets the most votes as president, whoever gets the second most as vice president. Yeah, so Hamilton is trying to get all kinds of support for Charles Coatsworth Pinckney. He's from South Carolina. So Hamilton is up north saying, hey, you guys need to vote for Pinckney, not for Adams. Jefferson and Burr tie because Adams and Pinckney, they split too many votes and things didn't quite pan out. So everybody is like, oh, so there's like there's a tie. Um I guess Jefferson's president then, right? And Burr's like, I don't remember losing. I just remember tying. So I guess you guys are going to have to vote and decide which one of us is which. Yeah. So with the two being tied, the U.S. House of Representatives had to choose between the two. And several Federalists who opposed Jefferson said, we like Aaron. And for the first, get this, 35 ballots, Jefferson was denied a majority. And before the 36th ballot was cast, Hamilton is like, you know what? Jefferson, I like him. So James Bayard, who was an elector uh, from Delaware, or he was a House of Representatives um, member from Delaware, is like, you know what? I'm throwing my support behind Jefferson. So there you have it. Thomas Jefferson is the president. Aaron Burr becomes the vice president. And... uh well, I guess you could say that Jefferson and Burr weren't great friends, and afterwards, Burr and Hamilton weren't great friends either. Uh, so it it becomes it becomes a little bit of a contentious relationship. Yeah, because keep in mind, Hamilton did not agree with Jefferson's policies, not one bit. They were at it over and over and over again. But Burr was a quote mischievous enemy. That's what Hamilton called Burr. So you can imagine he not only was against him, he was attacking his very character and loyalty. A little while later, about four years to be precise, there's a a election for the governorship in New York and Morgan Lewis defeats Aaron Burr. And if you remember Aaron Burr, um, he's vice president, but he knows he's not going to get to be vice president again. So he decides, oh, I might as well run for something else. How about governor of New York? And Hamilton kind of sort of definitely <laughs> said a lot of bad things about Burr so that Burr wouldn't win. And Burr's like, dude, um, that's not cool. Take it back. And Hamilton says, no, I'm not going to do it. I'm sorry you feel offended, but it's the truth. It's how I feel. I'm going to say these things. And Burr's like, all right, well, how about a duel? Yeah, so they get some liaisons together, and it's accepted on June the 27th of 1804. Hamilton writes a defense of his decision to duel, and we are going to leave the story in suspense. A duel is going to happen between Hamilton and Burr. 
And there's a lot to say about that. And we have actually recorded to this point our longest episode so far. And out of respect to you, our listeners, we are going to cut it off right now. Yeah, and we'll be back next episode to tell you about Aaron Burr and the conclusion of the duel between Burr and Hamilton. Hey, if you have found this podcast to be interesting and enriching and a valuable part of your life, would you take 90 seconds out of your time to head over to iTunes and leave us a rating and review? It means so much to us. It helps us get this program in front of more people. Absolutely. We would really appreciate it if you'd say hey or even comment on your love for Alexander Hamilton or at least the musical or uh, say, hey, I've never heard of that. And I think that uh, the guys from Election College should get tickets to go see it and review it. And so therefore, I'm going to pay for them. Um, uh, We don't really expect anybody to do that, but hey, (laughs) uh, it's, it's worth putting out there. Yeah. Hop over to our Twitter and Facebook. We're at Election College and we will see you next time. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.